Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Investor Lab. My name's Goose. My name's Gabby. And today we are talking about... What are we talking about today, Gabby? (laughs) Property portfolio housekeeping and hacks for sustainable scalability. Or, in fact, are we talking about how to know when to buy your next investment (laughs) property? They're the same thing. Come on. (laughs) So in today's episode, we really dig into... um, uh, tackling tackling a problem that a lot of investors face. How to know when to go again? Is it more important to go fast, or is it more important to have the right cadence? You know, the tortoise versus the hare. Um, what's going to allow you to win the race? How can you actually build the right habits and import and implement the right tools, tricks, and tips to make sure that you can stay on track to maximize your por- portfolio performance? And how do you get to your destination? as fast as possible, as happy as possible, and in the best possible way. So I think this kind of ticks all those boxes. Did I miss anything, Gabby? No, I think it's just it's a really cool episode because we get a little bit more um, mechanical about the day-to-day, like how to actually think um, about, you know, your investment rules and what is reality in your life and things to look for to know that, okay, I'm ready to actually go again and this is the strategy that I need to take next. Um, as well as, yeah, as you said, how to use how do I actually think about being a property investor in reality? Like how to take it seriously, how to do some tracking of your expenses, how to know, you know, what the values are of your property on a frequent basis, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. super, super tactical one, this one. Awesome. Well, and of course, you'll hear it at the end of the episode, but if you don't make it to there, I know that this is going to be really valuable for you and it's probably going to be valuable for somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. And what really matters to us is that we help to we try and help as many people as possible. And so we record this show because we want to help you. And if you can help us to help more people by giving this to somebody, sharing this with somebody, telling somebody else about this show, telling somebody else about this episode, then that would really mean the world to us. We don't ask for really anything in return with this podcast. We don't try and sell things or pitch you or uh, do anything like that. But if you could really help us, um, that would mean the world to us. So make sure, of course, you like, rate, review, share, do all of that kind of stuff. Um, but give this to someone that matters to you and help us to help them too. That'd be awesome. Without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. Awesome. We'll see you on the inside. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. You're with Goose and Gabby. Gabby, Hello. how are you? Really good. Really good. Why? Well, we just got some. Flash standing desks. Did you get some flash standing that desks? Finally arrived. If you're watching this, that's yesterday. why we're swaying. We're going to be we're swaying like ships in the in the ocean. <laughs> um, if you can't see us, this we is just going to. If you can't, if you're listening to this, yeah, if you're listening to this in audio, <laughs> that's probably going to be a little weird. Um, dun, dun. Okay. Anyway, um, yes, I'm well because I'm standing and moving my body a bit more, which is really beneficial in the last, you know, six weeks of lockdown or however long it's been. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. I'm great. As always. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like ninety five percent of the time I'm 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 awesome. Like I don't mean like look at me, I'm awesome. I mean I feel great. Yes. <laughs> like I, I'm optimistic. And, I'm awesome. <laughs> I'm optimistic and positive and all of that kind of stuff. So most of the time, yes, life is a, a, an an abundance of joy and prosperity, and I love it. Um, and of course, I enjoy hanging out with you and I enjoy doing these podcasts. I also want to particularly point out that um, I'm loving the feedback that we've been getting from people and there seems to be a little bit more dialogue coming through, people emailing yeah. us, giving us suggestions, feedback, stuff like that. We love that. Um, this whole podcast, when we started it, ooh, 120 episodes ago or whatever 17 it was. 17 years ago. Um, the whole premise was that we wanted to be able to create content that was going to help people. Let's really... That's really the, the premise of it. And yeah, it's exciting when we hear from people that it is helping them. And if that's you, then thanks. Um, so yeah, what are we going to be talking you. about today? Well, firstly, just before we, before we get stuck in, I need to point out your hair. <laughs> Don't point out my hair. This is illegal. I broke the law. What's happened to your head, Goose? Oh, well, I managed to get a... <laughs> I managed to get a bootleg haircut, but we can't talk about that because I've, I've broke the law. Anyway. Don't tell anyone. No haircuts in lockdown, guys. No, don't do it. Don't Bad. do it. Bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> Carry uh, on. I mean, I mean, I did it myself. Um, I'm very skilled with clippers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what are we talking about today? <laughs> um, we're going to talk about timing 
for um you know how to know when to actually buy mm. your next investment property yep and so you've been having a lot of conversations recently with people about really just like how do i actually know if now is the right time to keep going again yeah or yeah yeah totally i think it's probably a couple of little parts that it's like how do you know when to go again how do you know how fast you should go mm. should you try and go as fast as possible like there's a whole bunch of stuff in there and you're right i've had a lot of conversations um lately just in the last few weeks um with people in different situations so for example some people who are say you know a little later in life maybe they're in their their mid to late 50s and haven't really uh, focused on their personal wealth personal wealth journey and they're going oh my god i'm running out of time let's just let's just try and set fire to the world i'm going to throw everything at it like a bazooka let's go and then other people who are in their early 30s saying well you know i have time and I have a good life so should i be trying to go faster but what actually is the right cadence or you know what how should i be thinking about this am i actually am i wasting time and energy and effort and money like should i be doing things differently and i thought it was a really interesting um conversation i actually had a consultation with one of our clients on um on monday where we went into a lot of this stuff and i thought i thought wow there's some real kind of stuff that we might be thinking about and talking about regularly which maybe other people could benefit from so that's mm -hmm. kind of where we got to for this yeah um, awesome yeah and i think it's oh, it's obviously like with most of our podcasts it's a really important topic um <laughs> to think about because um particularly like we do this all the time right this mm -hmm. is our full-time life we do this all the time we talk about this with the clients and with our team as well all, all day every day um, so we're very involved in these kind of conversations. Yeah. And so if you're someone who's going through this kind of process and you're not, like this isn't your full-time thing, it can be quite confusing if it's like taking up like 10% of what you're trying to think about and you're trying to plan through like, is this the right step? And you just don't really have, mm. you know, those people that you can reach out to and have a conversation with and can actually guide you through like, how do I think about this timing thing? Like, yeah. do I do this? Do I just like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but do I just like screw it i'm going to try and do it and see how it goes and there's like we're trying to kind of be here for those kind of people to be T like totally there's some it, there's some barriers here yeah it's mostly because people have like uh mental blocks like have you mm -hmm. ever had something that you know that you should do or need to do or could do but because you don't really understand what's involved you put up all these it could be like a form that you've got to fill in and send to something and you're just like <laughs> oh my god i don't know what's involved but oh my god it just seems like it's probably going to be a whole heap of work and i don't really want it maybe it's just me because i hate forms i was right? going to say guys if you ever want to like throw goose into like just a downward spiral of like <laughs> frustration just give him a form forms are my like, kryptonite i don't do forms. out for a day i do not do forms <laughs> i don't do forms forms me and forms don't we don't work um so if you're like me and you, you see a form and you're just like oh my god it's like a, a cat if anyone's seen a cat when cats meet cucumbers if you, you, you <laughs> YouTube cats and yes. cucumbers. YouTube cats and cucumbers. That's yes, me with that's forms. Yep. Um, in any um, case, yeah. it could also be like so for for me, like the idea of like fitness has mm. always been like a mental block for me because it's yep. like it's, I know it's something that you know I want to take seriously. I'm like I'm at a point where I'm like, damn it, I need to get, I need to like take this seriously and actually move forward. But again, like I don't have the time and the endless resources to go and learn everything about it mm. to actually know what my first step needs to be. And so you can pick something and like try it, but you actually don't really know until you try and learn it and think about the principles in the right way. Um, and I think that applies here as well. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, so what we'll try and do in this episode is we'll try and give some valuable heuristics, you know, mm. mental, mental shortcuts mental and models. mental models and stuff that are going to help people to uh, frame this up for themselves. So this isn't a, um, none of this is dictatorial. There is no one size fits all solution. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, my hope, and I'm sure Gabby's hope too, is that if we can help you to try and like get your, get your thinking in the right way around this, you're going to be able to apply this in your own journey and work out how this is going to be beneficial to you. So the first point that I want to talk about, or that we want to talk about, is speed versus consistency. Mm. What do we actually mean by that? Okay, so in pretty simple terms, like, there's a couple of ways to think about this. So if you have got a finite uh, time horizon, so let's just say you've got 10 years to build a property portfolio and, mm -hmm. and you're going to measure the success of your portfolio um, on you know, the final day of year 10, right, at the end of year 10. Yep. 
And if you're going to buy, let's say, 10 properties in 10 years, are you better off to buy 10 properties in the first year or one property every year for 10 years? Well, if you're looking at total performance, you're much better off to buy 10 properties on day one and just do nothing for the rest of the 10 years, okay? So, but what I see, what I see happening is people getting um, a little confused and sometimes a little uh, on top of themselves in some ways when they're thinking about this. So, for example, uh, one of the people I spoke to in the last kind of week or so was, he was in his late 50s and he hadn't prepared his wealth journey and he's like sort of going, oh my God look, we only have a little bit of time left before we're going to retire and then we won't be able to invest. And so, so we need to go as fast as possible. But you, I could tell that there was a part of him that was reacting out of a place of like, oh my God, I'm running out of time. Mm. And they had plenty of equity in their, in their family home and all of that kind of stuff. And so technically could have just could, could, and has good borrowing capacity, could just go and buy a bunch of properties. Like, I don't know, three, four, five properties all in one go. Bang. Mm. Now, the problem with that is that sometimes that's not necessarily going to be the best thing for you to do because when we're talking about a quantum of, say, five or ten years, the differentiation between you know, trying to do it all in the first three months or spreading that over a reason, still relatively short period of time is not going to be a drastic negative impact. And I would suggest that there's a whole bunch of upsides. So when we're talking about speed, what we're talking about, let's get back to the root of the question, when we're talking about speed, we're saying, Try and buy as many properties as fast as you can, right? And then consistency would be going, okay, what is the structured plan and the consistent cadence that I have that is going to get me to where I want to go? And the two very, very, very different ways of thinking about it. And I really want to talk about the pros and the cons. This is kind of like the tortoise versus the hare. And Gabby, just jump, just jump in and interrupt anytime you, you see something you want to, you want to hang on to, <laughs> yep. right? Because let's just think about this for a second. Let's say you're in a position where I don't know, you've got a bunch of money and you want to go and you, and you have the ability to go and buy, um, let's say, three or four or five properties straight out of the gate, right? Now, you may go really hard, really fast and buy, let's just say, four properties in six months, right? And you're going to use all of your available capital. That's gone. You're going to use all of your available borrowing capacity. That's all gone. And then you're going to stop, okay? Because you, you have to. You won't have any ability to continue to go on. So you might have gone really hard for six months. Now, a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, it's going to be a hell of a lot going on. It's going to take a lot of mental, uh, you're going to be burning a lot of mental calories during that period of time because there's going to be so many moving parts. Not that there's anything wrong with that because I do believe that pushing yourself um, and being resilient and uh, handling pressure and doing all that kind of stuff, I really think that is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but it's something to be aware of, right? It's not something that you should accidentally go into. It's something you should be really cognizant about the fact that you're going to be going and you're going to be putting yourself essentially through a boot camp, mm. right, for like a certain period of time to achieve a goal really, really fast, right? Yeah, which I think. Yeah, yeah I'd like to dig into that a little bit later, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Later as well, because I think it's an under considered. It is definitely an under considered yeah. thing, right? But here's the other here's the other side of the coin. You get to the end of let's just say this six month period, and you've gone in a flurry of activity. You've gone and bought a bunch of properties, and now you can't buy any more. Then you're not going to be able to do anything. You might not be able to do anything for, let's say, it could be 12 months, right? Let's say. But because you then park that to the side and then go and get on with the rest of your life, you haven't built habits and the, the rituals around consistency and building wealth. And so the significant likelihood is that over time, you're going to be leaving more money on the table and eventually going slower, okay? So the way to think about that is like, is if you... Um, went and went on a fad crash diet, for example, and you're like, right, you know what? I'm going to lose some weight. And you go on this, you don't eat for six months or whatever, and you, you lose 50% of your body weight. And you're like, oh my God, I'm skinny. And then for the next 12 months, you just eat whatever you want because you're like, look, I went on that diet over there. That's not actually really going to set you up for a healthy, consistent future. Okay? And so what I often see happening is that people will go really hard, really fast and get themselves to a point where they can't continue to go on and then end up putting a massive gap because life will get in the way, their priorities will change, and it could be two or three years before they realistically come back to their portfolio and go, oh my God, look, I actually have equity and the rent's gone up and I can actually borrow more and all of that kind of stuff, where in actuality, they could have lost six months, 12 months or 24 months of portfolio building time purely because they didn't build the, the right cadence into their portfolio. Mm, and I think with that, like, I was just thinking about the, you know, using that crash diet analogy again. Mm. Um, there's no guarantee. There's virtually very little guarantee that you're going to be able to do that again. And I think some people think like, if, 
in a crash diet, it's like you can lose a bunch of weight mm. and then kind of like just like eat whatever you want, as you said, and not take care of yourself, not have those habits that you know are actually good for your yeah. sustainability of what you're trying to achieve. Um, part of that is because people just think like, oh, well, you know, when I'm ready, like when it gets out of hand again, I can just go and do that strategy again and yeah. like cut really hard. And so I think particularly like in property, it's like you can build up, people can take that like fast speed accumulation strategy mm-hmm. and then go through a period of like not doing anything, not having good habits. Getting maybe fat. Yeah, maybe in the back of their mind thinking like, okay, no, I just need to like build up some more cash savings and this kind of thing and then I'll like buy a bunch of properties again. But there's no guarantee that in that, you know, when you get to that two year or however long it takes mark that you're going to be able to do that strategy again. Like so exactly. many things can change. Um, outside of your control as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the 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 relate like the similarities between this wealth journey and that we're talking about and the health journey are uh, you know profound, right? So if you look at anyone who is in really good shape uh, and has probably been in really good shape for a long period of time, and then maybe they're in their you know maybe in their late fifties, they're still in really good shape. What you probably find is they've developed consistent, regular habits and the right cadence. So those habits might be that they under, you know, that they watch what they eat or whatever, but they also probably have a consistent workout routine. Mm-hmm. They do three times or five times a week or whatever the cadence may be. Maybe they cycle three times a week or whatever, right? Um, but it's that consistency that is the is the key to them maintaining, getting and maintaining the results that they've got. Now, so this. I think there look there are there is a time and place for going fast, and sometimes it is completely viable and relevant and the right thing to do. So, for example, if you've got a uh, a life changing event which is coming up, and you can see that on the horizon, you may very well go, "Well, I can see that things are going to change for me in six months or twelve months' time." So, what I want to do is I want to absolutely capitalize on my current position as much as I can because I know that when I pass that threshold things are going to be different. And we've had plenty of clients like that where, for example, they go, look, in 12 months' time, we're going to change careers and industries and we're going to, our income is going to radically change. And so we won't have borrowing capacity. So we need to go as fast as we can. So there's situations like that where there can be a reason to go faster. Okay. However, but if we go back to the guy that I was talking to, um, you know, who's in, in his mid to late 50s and, and was wanting to sort of, you could almost like, oh my God, should we just quickly go and do them all? I mean, what I said to him was like, well, what if, what if we bought three properties in the next 12 months? And then if we bought three properties in the next 12 months, and then if we bought three properties in the next 12 months, you would have nine properties in three years. I said, do you think that that, it might, do you think that, that sounds fast enough? Like how many people do you know have bought nine properties in three years? And he said, well, no one, right? So, so very quickly, if you develop a right, the right cadence, you can actually get better consistency. And what's going to happen as well is that you will have a more enjoyable journey, but also you'll have a better cash efficiency in your journey as well in, in, in many ways. Because what, what, let's just say you build a cadence. Let's say your cadence is to buy one property every three months, right? Um, so you may buy one property and then if you've got surplus cash left over three months later or you know, it could be three months after the first property goes unconditional or whatever the case may be, buy another property and then then buy do another property another three months after that what's going to happen is you're going to be consistently in tune and in touch with your portfolio which is a really interesting thing and so you're going to have your finger on the pulse of like what's happening and what's changing and you're going to be building habits around how to develop that cadence and i think that i think that over like a short to medium term time horizon people who can develop the right cadence rather than just this idea of like quick, quick, let's rush, mm. I think they're the ones that are actually going to end up uh, in a better financial health over, over time because, as I say, you're going to be consistently reviewing your portfolio is it, you know, and having regular checking points. So I think there's some really, um, some really good tips that we can probably share on how to develop that kind of consistency as well. Mm. But what do, you th- what do you think about this, like this kind of speed versus consistency angle? What are your, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think... Um the analogy I was thinking of was like with the with the speed thing. It's like if you're if you're running a race and you know the last like the home stretch is the last hundred meters, right? If it's a one hundred meter race, you're gonna want to run as fast as you can because you've got one hundred meters, like, and you've got you know what the endpoint is, whatever that is, your change in circumstances. So you're gonna want to go as fast as you can in yeah. that amount of time. But if it's a five kilometer race. 
you don't need to go that fast and that hard the it's whole way time. more important that you get the right get the cadence, right cadence and, and that you go consistent right yeah it's yeah. about stamina at that point and mm. then maybe when you get towards the last 100 meters you might actually be at the front of the pack because you've actually managed your mm-hmm. resources so that you can either push really hard in the home straight if you need to and or if you want to yeah um or you can just like wander your way through the finish line and be stoked <laughs> yeah um yeah but i was thinking like i know we've got some points that are going to be a bit more like specific about like yep. how do we know mechanically like what do we need in place before we can totally because it gets really important to setting your cadence yeah um but i just wanted to touch on like the it seems like a lot of it is also about like emotional fortitude mm. um and this is one of your kind of like favorite <laughs> favorite things to throw around is like People that come on board, particularly with us, that want to buy, you know, two or three properties at one time, which is, sounds exciting and it's totally possible for us to do. Um, but a lot of our assessment is about, like, is that individual actually emotionally prepared? Mm. Um, a, with what's going on in their current life, but B, also, like, do they have the maturity and the readiness to resilience. handle the resilience, yeah, to handle that amount of activity at one point in time so like working with us like we do so much of the work for you and so much of the communication Mm. and stuff on your behalf but there is still work that goes into it on your behalf there's still stress like you're still buying a property Mm. that requires you to interact with your mortgage broker and quite requires all of this other stuff paperwork like there's all of this stuff that happens Mm -hmm. and delays come up all the time dates change like fires catch on like things pop up all the time not literal fires um hopefully not um <laughs> we haven't had any properties on fire yet no, thank God. So. um yeah but things pop up all the time and so you do need that resiliency you, like you need to it's it's a contingency that you kind of need to expect in mm. the process even when things are like the smoothest something is going to pop up that's going to cause you stress that you didn't anticipate so if you layer like five of those purchases on top of each other for most people that's just too much yeah most people don't have the time right because it's yeah. the it's the classic like time money uh like you either have the money and not time or you have the time and not money right yep. so if you if you're sitting around doing nothing and you've got no, no nothing to fill your days sure yep. absolutely maybe that's no problem but probably probably most likely scenario is you're also probably not going to be buying into houses because you might not have serviceability and stuff so it's really it's really about understanding that balance too yeah whereas like i'm thinking through like quite a few of our clients who did sign up were like look i'm i'm ready i'm at this point now where i want to buy you know three in the next six months can we try and look at them all right now um but we said you know what just let's go through one first once it settles then we'll start to do the second one and so through the first journey like they hadn't bought properties before so there was a bit of confusion a bit of education on our part them getting up to speed with the whole process and the communication that's required with other people and all the finance work and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then as they're now coming through the second process, they're way more confident. You know, the, the workload is still the same, but they're like, no, I've got this. Like, I know I need to have this prepared. I need to have these ones here. Like, yeah. And then you can imagine, like, you build up to the third one, the fourth one, like, consistency on that cadence. Mm. It builds that natural self-esteem and confidence in what you're doing. Totally. So it's at, on top of the results that you'll get. Like, it's a... Like, I know what I'm doing. There's another, part, there's another part in there too, which is really, really important to understand. So mm-hmm. like, let's just say you have the purchasing power to go and buy $2 million worth of property, right? Mm-hmm. And if you were born to approach it with a shotgun blast and go, right, I want to go buy four $500,000 properties, bam, let's go. Like, that's totally cool. Absolutely. Not a problem. Can be done. No, no dramas. Mm-hmm. But here's the reality of the situation, right? If you... Buy, if you aim to buy a $500,000 property, you may end up spending $450,000, $475,000, $420,000, uh, It could be any, like the, the statistical likelihood of it being $500,000 exactly is extremely low, let alone that happening four times collectively. And so what can end up happening is let's just say you ended up buying four properties at around about $475,000, then that's $25,000 less each that you end up spending. And so you can end up with $100,000 of purchasing power left on the table, which you then might not actually be able to distribute across the properties. But if you were to say buy one property, get it to unconditional, because then you know, okay, it's unconditional. We're now about to set, go to move into the settlement phase. So you know 
right, that property is actually $472,650. Mm -hmm. So now how do we need to think about adjusting our available capital and borrowing capacity for the subsequent purchases? Mm -hmm. And so you can actually rapidly end up maximizing your distribution of capital and max that's what I was talking about, a, a more efficient distribution of capital because you'll know where you stand rather than accidentally being left with some funds left over, which is not bad, hey, to have some money left over. But if the goal is to try and have it invested and working for you, you don't want lazy money sitting around. Mm -hmm. And so giving you that space, I mean, the difference that you might only be, it might only be like two, two months apart. If you're doing it at unconditional, you might start the process. It might take two months to find and negotiate the property, et cetera, and get, get it unconditional. And then as soon as it's unconditional, you can start again. And then that process might take 60 days. And in the meantime, you've got 30 days of settlement on the first one. And so halfway through looking for the second one, you're already settling on the first one. And, and so you can layer them up really, really quickly. But again, it's about understanding how to split those apart and why. 100%. And it's like, um, I always think about it like you need to, every, every day is the new day one. Like you need to buy something and then once you've once you've like gone unconditional so we say unconditional because that's the point generally where you know how much mm. cash is going to have gone into need to go into that deal so you might have thought you needed 100 grand but actually you needed 110 so then you've got this 10,000 mm -hmm. um but you know once you know that amount you reset and you're like okay now i've got this asset that's in my portfolio now is the new day one what do i need to do to get to my goals still now that today is the new day one and then with every purchase you reset and go okay now yep. this is my situation what do i need to change um yeah yeah so there's a few things that we want to get through right so i want to start trying to move through them because i think they're all really relevant to this because yep. one of the questions well like let's say you go okay great cool so i'm going to set like a cadence to my portfolio but what should that cadence be like mm. what should that pace be and this kind of goes back to actually um, one of our clients i was talking to uh who is in his early 30s and he was sort of saying like is one a year sort of the, the right cadence and maybe i've got money just sitting around doing nothing and like how do you know like how do you know when to go again mm -hmm. right um and i think it comes down to uh, a few things because what you there's an argument that you could say we well, should go as, as fast as you can and as soon as you've got capital go again but what does that really mean right does that does that mean let's say you buy a three hundred thousand dollar property and let's say it goes up by twenty thousand dollars does that mean that you should scrape out whatever fifteen thousand dollars of equity uh in and put that into cash and then go buy some cheap property just because you can mm. uh, and no like that shouldn't necessarily be the be the goal right so you kind of need to um you kind of need to set some investing rules but you also you should also be thinking about your capital position like how much would be required um to to be able to buy the next property what's what's the strategy and everything like that and i think where a lot of investors can go wrong is they can start going into, into what we call a doom loop. And a doom loop is when you have a consistently diminishing return on your efforts. So for example, let's say you buy a $300,000 property, it goes up by 10%, you got $30,000. For simplicity's sake, we'll say you can take out the entire 10%, even though, of course, loan-to-value ratio wouldn't, wouldn't allow that. But mm -hmm. for the purposes of the mental model, $300,000 property, um, now, and then it goes up by 10%, you go, great. Oh, all I need is 10% for a deposit. So you take out the 30 grand. The thing is, of course, you've got purchasing costs on top of that, somewhere between 5 and 8%. So simplicity, we'll call it another 10%. So we'll say 20%. Uh, so in actuality, you're, only, you're going to be able to buy a cheaper property, not another $300,000 property. And then when that property goes up by 10%, and now over time, what's going to happen, of course, is you'll end up with three or four or five properties. One will be 300, one will be, I don't know, 250, and one will be 200, and one will be 150. And you know, I'm obviously exaggerating those steps a little bit, but yes, all of those properties will go up and, and theoretically and you know, produce income and do all of that kind of stuff. But the problem is it's not necessarily going to be the optimal distribution of your capital. And so that can end up creating a diminishing cycle or a doom loop rather than you know, an exponential growth curve, which is a very different way of thinking about it. So understanding when and how to go again is is really important you're going to be looking at like what how much cash have you saved have you got additional money to contribute to your portfolio or not um you know are you still in stable employment is anything going to change um you know what's what's happening in life you're about to have a baby are you you know you're getting married what's what's going on there there's all these kind of all these kind of things but realistically as well it's about understanding at what point at what benchmark are you satisfied to go again right mm. so you might say okay well i bought the first property for three hundred thousand dollars and 
my investment rules, because every every major investment organization, every investment bank, every portfolio manager, Ray Dalio, you know, the whole shooting match, they all have rules. They all have rules. Yep. And as an investor, you should have rules too. Like you should have rules. Okay, my 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 LVR the LVR range in my portfolio must not go above or below X. Um, I won't buy properties less than X or more than X. Um, you know, I want my portfolio yield to be X or an individual property por- individual property yields to be X, right? So you can create all these kind of rules and they're going to give you the guiding light as to when you should potentially go again. So if you want to avoid going into a doom loop, right, and it, let's assume that you're not contributing any additional capital to your um, portfolio, which, again, if you want a healthier portfolio, you should probably be considering saving and putting money into your portfolio as well as, you know, leveraging the growth and doing all of that kind of stuff. Um, but you want to be looking to make sure that you are getting enough capital out of your properties to cover the deposit plus the, the purchasing costs, et cetera, and to make sure that you're going up and not down. So you might, even if you only bought $300,000 properties but never went 300, then 280, then 270, then 250, and then 220, mm. then that would probably still be better. And that's going to dictate your cadence, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you, on, on the one hand, you want to go as fast as possible within the constraints of your portfolio rules, right? And that is the dictation. Yeah, I, lo- I love this concept because it's, and it's so tailorable and it needs to be tailorable to everyone's personal situation. It's like identifying with yourself, like, what am I actually comfortable spending? Mm. What, am I, what am I happy to be able to save? Like if I set a rule for myself, like I have to have at least – 50 grand of savings before I look at buying my next property and you just have that as a rule for yourself because otherwise if it's you know lower than that then you end up going, relying just on equity redraws yep. rather than like as you said trying to set this up to be a positive kind of flywheel momentum rather than a doom loop of yeah just 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 to be clear you can if you want just mm. use equity right you don't have to if you if you're yeah. a situation if you've got a family and you just can't save or whatever you can just use equity but mm-hmm. the point still remains the same that you want to be making sure that you're only taking equity out of the property when you've had enough of a gain that you're going to be able to stay at the same you know same same value price property mm-hmm. or or up so that will potentially slow down your journey that's the question. yeah for sure and i think it's about like always it's knowing where you want to go yeah and understanding yourself and the realities of your life of and setting boundaries for yourself for what you want to what what you need to achieve to help you consistently move towards what you want to achieve in the long term yeah um and so i think that's like like for us like our one of our hard rules is like positive cash flow like we unless it is net positive cash flow we don't even look at it that said, we have some clients that have that aren't as hard a rule on that because that's their mm. decision, and we have this conversation with them, yep. explaining the pros and cons, and they're like, "No, I would prefer like positive cash flow is not a necessity because they're you know they're super stable in their job and all this kind of stuff." Yep. And they one one percent of properties that we've bought, uh, we did an analysis on it. The one percent of the properties that we bought haven't been net positive cash flow from day mm-hmm. one, but that's been, as you said, at the like within the within the investment rules of that client's portfolio and understanding where that fits in with their portfolio and typically because they've been you know mm. development opportunities or something like that yeah and so i think like zooming out as well like the, the holy trinity is exactly our investment rules our philosophy 100%. as a as an organization it's like we have these three rules that we follow and that's how we consistently get the results and, and achieve the results we want so i think it's really important for you to just take some time and think about like what am I actually comfortable and like stretching it a little bit so that you know that you can push it and it will move you forward. But having those boundaries for yourself um, will really help with this. Yeah, totally. And it's another really interesting way to think about, and we could do go into portfolio mix. That's probably, that's probably a whole nother um, hmm. podcast, really interesting one is to think about what is the distribution of your assets by type. Hmm. And so if you look at like a, a superannuation fund or whatever, or any major fund, what they'll have is they'll have, um, you know, they'll have different uh, different distributions on asset types. So they might have, I don't know, thirty uh, percent in commodities, fifteen percent in cash, um, 
you know, five uh, percent in speculative, twenty uh, percent in in you know real uh, real infrastructure assets or whatever, right? So they'll have different weightings, and again, this comes down to understanding your portfolio rules. They'll establish those rules before they launch the fund. They'll say. You know, the way a fund works really simply is that there'll be a hypothesis and a, and a track record of people who can do stuff. And they'll say, hey, great, we want to raise whatever, $100 million. These are going to be our investing rules. And if we believe if we follow these investing rules that we're going to achieve these returns, would you like to contribute capital to the fund? And then that's how you're going to make money, right? Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. That's literally all it is. And your portfolio shouldn't be any different. You've, it's just that you're the key investor in your fund, right? Your, your personal wealth fund. And so you've got to say, okay, what are my investment rules? What's my distribution going to be? Am I going to, am I going to have, um, you know, only buy foundation level properties, or uh, am I going to be satisfied with three foundation properties? But then what I want to do, uh, or three properties between three hundred thousand and four hundred thousand. But then what I want to do is I really want to start diversifying by price point or yield point or asset type. Maybe I want to get one development in there. One, one developable property, just to be clear, one developable property in there. But then I also want at least one triplex. Uh, you know, like you can, you can really start to think about what that, what that portfolio mix looks like. And I think that's where setting your investment rules is really good because otherwise, otherwise you sort of don't really know. You're like, all right, is it, do I just keep buying houses? Like what houses? Hmm. Why and when? And like all of that kind of stuff. So I think if you can yeah. break that down and go, okay, well, here are the here are the parameters with which I'm going to operate my, my portfolio. It allows you a greater level of clarity. And then again, going back to at the very start, if you have those rules, then you should go as fast as you can, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the compound effect over time is that the sooner you can accumulate the assets, the more return you're going to get over a shorter period of time. Again, the caveat being that it's got to fit with your investing rules in the right cadence, okay? So... Um, that kind of goes on to probably the like the next the next point is like how do you like what systems and tools can you put in place to manage your portfolio a little bit better and to develop that. Yeah, I just wanted to just finish on that. Yeah, so yeah, like I, the 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 what I'm thinking of is like the your portfolio rules are like the bumper rails on a bowling alley. Yeah. Like you put up these rails so that you have your principles and your guidelines of like okay, this is where I don't want to go past. I don't want to fall into the gutter. So I put these up, but then in terms of bowling, like you go as fast as you can down that and you know that they're going to keep you aligned with where you want to go. Mm. Um, the, the risk I see here, though, is people setting rules that are unreasonable because they just kind of like feel like that's what they want to do. So like yeah. people might go like, I only buy a subdividable property, yeah. but then their goal might be not related to totally. subdivisions. So it's about, you know. Yeah, that's, understand, that's understanding strategic alignment, right? Yeah. That's, that's like. If you wanted to achieve $100,000 cash flow in five years, what is the best con- configuration of assets to achieve that? Yep. And buying only developable sites may or may not actually be the right pathway to get you there for sure, 100%. And, yep. and just to your point as well, and I know you want to finish but on that, but it's a really interesting thing you touched on is that sometimes people can put up, have investing rules where in fact they're just investing like optimal scenarios. Like exactly. they might say, well, my portfolio investment rules are that I only buy 8% yielding properties within 10 kilometers of mm-hmm. a capital city CBD. They're my rules and that's I'm going to stick to them. And it's like, well, realistically, like, is that, is that practical, probable? Is that going to get you the best results? Are you, are you setting yourself up for failure? So it's a whole nother, yeah. you know, how to set those rules is probably a whole nother. Yeah, it's striking a balance between what is um, <laughs> going to motivate you and keep you moving forward, but what is actually realistic to help you to achieve your goals like uh, even location might be one of them because a lot of people like still like i live in melbourne i want to buy in at least in victoria so i can drive there that kind of thing yeah um so it's a cool it's a good you know a a place to start but if it's going to hinder you from actually accessing the opportunities that will actually move you forward then it's something to reconsider 100 percent. um i just want to quickly get on like cash save so obviously it depends on your rules as we talked about determining your own like if, mm. if you don't want to only use equity to refinance and go again is there an indication of like how much cash people should maybe at least minimum start with so if you don't use equity or yes so if you're not going to take any equity out of the properties yep um again it depends on your portfolio rules but i would say 50 grand 50 grand cool yeah. i'd say 50 grand is like a baseline 
Yeah. Um, I really that, and that would be a that would be a low baseline. Like if if you're engaging professionals like us, then there's going to be you know some additional costs and stuff in there. And I just think, um, realistically, if you're less than fifty grand, probably keep saving. Um, unless here's the caveat to that. Unless your savings rate is slower than the potential growth rate you could get for the property, right? So let's say you had 30 grand, but it was going to take you five years to save up the other 20. Well, then maybe you're better off getting into a property that's going to help accelerate savings. But as a general rule of thumb, I'd say 50 grand as a minimum um, if you are only using cash. Yep. Perfect. Great. Great. Okay, awesome. So what I think is um what I think is good to talk about now because it's like people are like okay cool got it great I need to set some rules and I need to set the right cadence but what is the right cadence and how how should I think about doing that and more specifically how can I get more organized now this comes down to basically treating your um portfolio like a business right um now in any business actually it's probably a bit it's a bit a long draw, long bow to draw. Uh, I would say most intelligent businesses um would do a quarterly planning session. They would do a quarterly review. How did we perform over the last quarter? Uh, and then a quarterly forward planning. What are our goals, KPIs, and objectives for the next quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I really can be, that can be called a review preview. Yeah, a review preview, right? Yep. And I believe that, that uh, all property investors should do a quarterly review preview of their portfolio. Now, the reason for that is it's going to give you a regular checking point to assess where you're currently at. Now, Within the context of saying, well, you should go as fast as you can within the investment rules of your portfolio and, of course, within the financial you know, considerations of your family and life and all of that kind of stuff, then some of the ways you can do that, because a lot of people are like, well, is one a year the right cadence? Should it be one every month? Should it be one every six months or whatever? Um, the point is that you should consistently review the health of your portfolio because you might find, you might say, oh, well, I don't know, maybe it's like once every year, whereas in actuality, maybe your properties are growing and um, performing really well, and maybe you could go every three months, for example. So I tend to think that quarterly is a really good check-in point. And so what you can do every quarter is you can speak to your broker and just ask, hey, can, can you order some valuations for the, the properties that I've got? I want to see if I've got any equity and, and if I can go again. Now, that's a good, good step. And the way to build consistency with that is to set a reminder in your calendar, for example, every three months, contact the broker, right? Mm -hmm. And so you'll then have an alert. So you don't even need to think about it. It could be on the 1st of of July, 1st of September or whatever to go, hey, cool. It's time to reach out to the broker. Hey, hey, broker, it's me again. Just want to check in. Have I got any equity in these properties? Want to know if I can go again, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you do that, maybe you don't at that point, but maybe you're really close and you might say, okay, cool, I'll check in again in a month, right, or two months. Um, Otherwise, it might just be like, okay, great, back to you again next quarter, move on. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a few tactical things that I want to throw in here as well to to help manage this a little bit better because some people also don't really understand, like, like, I think my properties are positive cash flow. It seems like there's money in the bank. Like, uh, it's a little bit confusing and a little bit messy. Um, so there are simple ways that you can help to manage this a little a little better. Like so, for example, you can you can get accounting and cash cash flow management systems like like Zero, and there are a whole bunch of other ones. Probably simpler than Zero. Zero is an accounting um, accounting platform that you can get, and you can put your properties in into Zero like business units basically, mm-hmm. and then you can set up things like Receipt Bank, and then they then you can spend say one hour a week or two hours a month or whatever needs to be done for your portfolio to go, okay, what are, my, what are my cash inflows and what are my cash outflows? And that way you're going to be able to catch things in your portfolio like, oh, wait, hang on a second. I thought insurance was going to cost X, but it's actually costing X or I had allowed this much for maintenance, but in actuality it's costing me more or less. Uh, and you'll be able to catch all that stuff early so you have a better, better head check on, on what's going on with your portfolio. Now, the reason that you want to do all of this is so that you're consistently in tune with the health of your portfolio and then you're creating the right structure and system. So you might have, it could be, you could set up, you know, the, the financial tracking systems using something like Receipt Bank or something like Zero. And again, there are plenty of other, you know, tools out there that you could use to achieve a, sim- a similar effect. Um, and then you could just say, well, once a month, I'm going to review my, uh, my cash inflows and my cash outflows, and I'm going to check in with my property manager or property managers uh, once a month. Just you can dedicate four hours, one afternoon uh, on a Friday, last Friday of every month could be, for example, 
where you ring around and you go, hey guys, just want to check in. How's everything going? How's, how's everything with the tenants? Is there anything I need to know? Is there any outstanding items that you haven't sent through? Um, is, you know, what, what's the rental market looking like? You know, when do you think we could put the rent up, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff. And then check your cash inflows and cash outflows to know, okay, is this profitable or not? Am I producing more money than I'm using? If you do that as well as having a consistent, regular timing of like, okay, every three months I check in with the broker and go, hey, can I borrow again? What's going on? Like, what's, can you do an assessment on my borrowing capacity? Has it gone up or gone down? Can I refinance any of the properties? Is there a better loan product for me? Is there some way that I can optimize more portfolio? Just doing that is going to give you a much better process-driven approach to, to your portfolio, which will, probably, which will likely end up with you buying you know, two, three, four properties every year for a long period of time because you'll be approaching it with a different mindset and a different uh, level of professionality. Yeah, for sure. And I think the funny thing with this is that it's um, like it's nowhere near as sexy as the time when you're going to buy a new property. Um, this is the maintenance work. Like this is the habits that actually help people to succeed in whatever they want to do. Like it's the maintenance, the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly habits that people take and stick to that actually help them to succeed in Mm. whatever they're trying to do. So it's not necessarily all the excitement those few months when you're buying a property that is moving you forward. Obviously, you're doing the action that will move you forward, but it's the all the supporting activities that you do and stick to that will make sure that you are taking this seriously and taking it professionally. Um, And so from um, just from like on the quarterly review as well, you can, if you have a good property manager, um, getting a, like a quarterly, you know, as you said, you can reach out to your broker to get an update on your borrowing capacity and um, like a, a valuation on your property is to see like on the asset and income side of things, like where are you sitting there? But on the expenses side of things, you can work with your property manager as well to see if on a quarterly basis they can send you an export of all of the expenses that have come through that property as well. Um, and so if you're using a, an accounting software like Zero or something, you can then match them and reconcile them and make sure that you know where all the money has gone. Uh, and from like a daily, just general hygiene, like businesses have separate bank accounts for the business at separate from the directors of the business. So the company itself owns a bank account or several where the money comes in and goes out so that every transaction that's mm. in that bank account is related to that business and not related to the directors. Mm. And so this is a really critical thing that I always advise people is set up at least one separate bank account for your property investment. Preferably one bank preferably, account per property. Yeah, preferably one bank account per property. So it just needs to be like an everyday transaction account where all of your cash, like all of your rental income goes into that account and then all of your repayments and anything that you, any of your invoices that come in that you need to pay go out of that account. So you can really clearly see is your cash balance going up or down? Um, and if your positive cash flow, it should consistently be going up. And you're always going to consistently have um, at a real delineation between your accounts of what is actually related to each property. So that if you're doing it, because even if you do it on a quarterly basis, if you've got all of your transactions got just going through your normal life account, you're going to have to go through every single transaction that you've ever made using your personal card in that three months. And that can be quite a few when maybe they're not really relevant to your portfolio. Whereas if you split it out into different bank accounts, you might have 10 transactions for the quarter and you can easily get through that and have conversations with people about it. Um, so that's just on a really general hygiene, like have separate bank accounts if you can. Um, and they're really easy to set up. You just contact your bank. You can do most of them online now. Or you just request totally. open a new account. So it's definitely worth it. Yeah. And there are lots of tools that you can connect with your bank. You don't have to use Zero, but there are lots of other tools you can connect with your bank accounts. Yep. Um, we actually, one that we've tried recently is called Pocketsmith. Yeah. Pocketsmith is Pocketsmith pretty cool. Pocketsmith is really good because you can actually put in your, um, like your asset value into it. Probably I haven't fully worked out like how accurate it is in terms of like, measuring the uplift in a mm. in, in like a growth in a property but you can put in all of your assets and your liabilities can you update the asset values gabby yeah, can you like can. oh okay yeah. so that was one of the things i liked about zero is because if you go and update the the equity in your balance sheet of your 
your account, it's going to like you would be able mm. to change your, your you'll show it on the balance sheet. I didn't realize you could do that. In yeah, Pocket I think Smith. you can in PocketSmith. Yeah, which is awesome. And so the way that it works as well, so it does that whole balance sheet side of things um, for your personal finances. So again, it's like zero is one for like a business, but then PocketSmith we found is really good for like personal, personal finance. Yeah. And so it also connects with your bank accounts where you can reconcile all of the transactions that come through based on the exact like actual transactions in your account and so you can actually track like okay i expected this quarter i would spend thousand dollars on lawn mowing and i spent twelve hundred dollars okay that's a bit higher than i anticipated and then you can have a conversation about it um with your property manager but yeah pocketsmith haven't fully like pulled it apart but i know it's got really good functionality if if you've got the time to these are just ideas as well by the way if anyone out there has some other good solutions send them through so we can share them with other listeners as well um because that would be really cool like our goal really is like how do we help people to you know do more better faster and have a better better life so if there's a better way of doing it that would be awesome to know as well yep one final habit actually when you are looking to buy a new new investment Mm. right you know you've got your boundaries sorry talk to us that's the habit right That's a really good habit. Guys, reach out. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, use an Apex report. So if you guys haven't downloaded one already, um, it is a spreadsheet tool that we created ourselves that we use countless times a day between the team, um, assessing every single property that we do DD on mm. um, to determine, is this property going to perform? Is it going to fit the mold that we need this next purchase to fit? Um, so you set these rules that you have for yourself or your next purchase, so like minimum yields, max purchase price, that kind of thing, um, and you plug in the details of the property and it will actually show you like, is this the right fit for what you need for this next purchase? Yeah. Um, so if you don't have that already, you should download it. I'll put it in the show notes so you can download it. Mm. Um, I think that's been downloaded like fifteen or 20,000 times now. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's hectic. It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Okay, guys. Well, I hope this has been valuable. Now, Gabby, I don't know whether we should be calling this episode how to know when to buy your next investment property or po- property portfolio, housekeeping and hacks for sustainable scalability. But I guess, a mystery. I guess you guys, the listener, are going to know by the time you <laughs> click on this show. So, <laughs> all right, guys, if this has been useful to you, um, it's probably been useful to somebody else. And what would really mean the world to us is if you could help us help more people by sharing this with somebody else too. Um, really, it's really important to us. We like to, uh, we're driven, as you know, listen to the show driven by impact um and if you can help us to live out our vision we would be help, happy to help you live out yours um and it all starts with giving and what we're trying to do right now is give to you and if you could give this to somebody else that would be phenomenal um so without any further ado make sure you like rate review share subscribe do all the good stuff but give this to somebody else help us to share this around and help us to help other people just like you and if you need anything then don't hesitate to reach out thanks thanks see ya